Welcome to Things I Preach to Myself About podcast. I'm your host, Rich Vangen, and on today's episode, we take a look at things that are broken. We are a people obsessed with diets. There's an ever-chasing drive for light versions of every type of this or that. We hope that the after-effect of consuming light things will keep us slim and trim, healthier, happier. We tend to think that we can have all the pleasures, but with half the guilt, thus light. Sadly, this same mentality exists in the realm of Christianity today. Churches have shed off a multitude of portions of the sustaining, healthy, solid biblical food over the centuries. Christianity light has become the primary source of their religion today. It now contains half the calories of truth, half of the meat of the gospel, barely any portions of accountability, and almost no salt content to the world. The good rib-sticking meat's been replaced with sweetenings of sugar and fluff, empty calories that produce empty lives. And when the truth of the Bible is actually being proclaimed, the world denounces it as this unnecessary excess because The world only wants to accept the diet version of Christianity, the no-guilt version, the no-accountability version. Now, a watered-down gospel will certainly never quench a hungry soul. Without the whole portion being consumed, you always walk away unfulfilled, like tasting off a sampler platter, you know, small morsels that don't really give you the sustenance needed to survive daily. You know the feeling of hunger pains when you're being on a diet? Your body is reacting in rebellion to that, having less than what it usually wants? Now, there's no doubt that denying our bodies harmful and unhealthy things is a good thing. It's good for getting healthier. And likewise, we do need to take in the good things for our growth and healing and general overall health. We still need proper nourishment, though. So consuming good things and avoiding bad things, really, it's all pretty simple. So why does the modern Christian cut out so much of the biblical truth? Why do they deny themselves the good truths that, you know, our souls need? Because, you see, man has this problem with being held accountable. Because conviction of sin, which are the violations that we commit against God's laws, uh, It's a guilt that, you know, man doesn't want to really face. You see, mankind has a problem with keeping his end of a covenant and thinks that he can hide from the repercussions. See, God's made covenants with man and man keeps breaking them. God says, I will, you know, fill in the blank, and you will fill in the blank. And man eagerly agrees because he sees the good that he's going to get. And after getting his wants filled, he'll usually, eh, within a short period of time, end up failing his end of the covenant with God. So God's word, the Bible, continually stands as a reminder of man's guilt. And frankly, man doesn't want to hear it. Now, I can't account for you, but... I've had times over the years where I've broken a rule or an agreement that I've had with someone, and, you know, I felt the guilt wash over me because of my failings. My mind panics as I run scenarios of how I can either cover up the offense or maybe find a way out or just avoid it altogether. 
I want to avoid facing the backlash and suffering the penalties of my breach. But we all know that at some point we have to face the consequences of our infractions. You know, just like in the television cop shows, we all need to just fess up to our crime and face the music. God wants us to do the very same. Now, a covenant is simply an agreement between two or more parties. Now, unlike a contract agreement, though, covenants are usually established for the benefit of the other party, whereas contracts are usually set up for personal gain. In many cases, the covenant is upheld under a set jurisprudence. In the Bible, God establishes his covenants to help not only further his plans, but benefit those who he enters into a covenant with. And there's a number of covenants referenced in the Bible that were made by God. Covenants were made with Noah and Abraham, Moses, the priests of the temple, King David and his lineage, which flows to the Messiah. But the most important element of all these covenants that we have to be mindful of is that God has fulfilled his promises completely. So if Covenants are driven to benefit the other. Why do we fail on our part to fulfill our commitment to God in his covenants with us? Since we have obligations to God, why does the majority of self-proclaimed believers regard him with a discontented faith or feigned worship? The truth is, is because man has that sin nature and is naturally driven by selfishness. He often views the covenant as a contract type of agreement that demands God give unconditionally and if we don't get what we think we want, we just can walk away. And we tend to look at God and think, you know, what do I get out of this? Without even a thought of what can I give to God? We tend to treat the promises of God as nothing more than a one-sided get out of hell pass. Yet think that we can just continue to live our own way by our own standards. And despite our irreverence, though, God is still faithful with his benefits to us. It says in Matthew 5, 45, that he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So, as our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, it is by God that we are even given the opportunity to lift our holy praises to him in the first place. He's provided the very conditions we need in order to glorify him. And yet, we still don't. Through Noah, he gave his creation a new start after the fall to praise him. Through the covenant with Abraham, he unfurled his plan of a great nation that would mediate the blessings of the true God to all the people on the earth. Through Moses, God showed us his high and holy requirements by revealing the very law that would show us how we have all fallen short of his glory, yet would also point us to our need for a Savior. Through David, God shows us the promise of a royal lineage that would come from his offspring, fulfilling his plans that were revealed by the prophetic messages to all the people and giving us a Messiah. Which leads us to the New Covenant. In Matthew chapter 26, we read of the institution of the Lord's Supper, one of the blessed sacraments commanded by our Lord Jesus. In representation of what was to come, Jesus broke bread and said, This is his body broken for us. But he next took a cup, gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood 
of the covenant, or new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The new covenant is the bridging between man and God by the death and resurrection of our Savior. God gave us the final answer that man needed to restore a right relationship to himself. His son Jesus, as the perfect sacrifice, offered for the sins of the world. All we had to do is receive the free gift, believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and follow him. God gave fully through the covenant for the benefit of man, yet man has requirements to complete as well. But as you and I look around the world, we can easily see that we're really falling short from following God through Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, uh, verses 7 and 8, it explains our problem. It says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So you see, we're surrounded on all sides by the works of the flesh, Even our very nature is always working against us as we try to walk in the holiness that God demands. And as mentioned before, part of our sin nature is pride, that selfishness that we all have within us. It took root in the Garden of Eden and has since spread throughout mankind to our very generation. Not only do we have this innate problem that goes against the very character and commandments of God, but People actually celebrate and strive for more ways to flaunt it today. Humanity's arrogance in light of the knowledge of God, and you can check Romans chapter 1 for that, speaks volumes. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, and they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, clearly this is shown throughout the world as you look around. Even within the very walls of religious institutions that claim to worship the God of the Bible, we we see this irreverence and indignation toward following his word. But, But why? Well, we see throughout the Bible that People who were chosen by God had this habit of turning a deaf ear. After all the mercies and miracles and signs that were given, after all the saving grace that's poured out, after all that God has clearly shown, the people still did not follow and worship God. God exclaims in Psalm 81:11, But my people did not listen to my voice. You say, why? Because God says, They would not submit to me. We resist God and his decrees and follow after our own selfish desires. Christ said in Matthew chapter 15 that this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now we have the very words of God, yet we still choose to ignore them and do our own thing. We're to submit to God, yet we treat him as a footnote in our daily lives. Our egos, our selfish pride, take on almost a viral infection within us as we plot and plan how we think everything should work and operate in our lives. We believe that we're in control and therefore 
we don't even need to think about God. We will ignore God, but it's funny, as we turn around and we entreat him as like a cosmic vending machine by saying little prayers on occasion to ask for special blessings or healings when we feel shortchanged by life. Or every now and then, you know, we give the complimentary high five to the big man upstairs when something seems to go our way. But then we quickly resort back to our inward focus. We enter into a facade of piety by attending church for the sake of showing others that we stand on a higher moral ground in our daily lives. Yet, most don't even know who they're supposed to be worshiping. Now, folks, this all sounds quite harsh. But our irreverent approach to God is actually an insult to the one who created the heavens and the earth. We need to understand who we are in comparison to the majesty and righteousness of God above. The very God who breathed into existence everything is the very God who reached down from heaven and became mortal man for the sake of saving those whom he calls. That covenant was given to us for our benefit because, personally, our sin nullifies us to even try to remedy our separation from God. And as I mentioned before, covenants work two ways between the parties involved, and we have an obligation on our part. We are to give to God our devoted worship and praise. We don't get into heaven by being good moral people. We don't get into heaven by attending a church or paying tithes. We don't get into heaven by mouthing some little prayer on Sunday. What happens is we get into heaven by repenting of our sins, submitting to the Lordship of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and walking in His ways. And we get all the help that we need through all of this by the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, Holy, the Bible. Now, as a marriage is solely sustained through the giving by both parties to each other, we have this thing where, though, we freely receive from people, but are we freely giving? So I like how Easton's Bible Dictionary explains that the marriage relationship is used to represent the union between God and his people. And in the New Testament, the same figure is employed in representing the love of Christ to his saints. The church of the redeemed is the bride, the lamb's wife. But the failing of most covenants occurs when one party doesn't honor their part. As husbands and wives are supposed to submit to one another for the marriage to succeed, we also have to submit to Jesus as well in order to be received into his covenant with us. We already know that God has given everything when he sacrificed his son for our sins. He provided the payment that we should have paid as a penalty because of our breaking his laws. But since we're not able to meet that high price, God gave us another way. And so now... Our part is to worship and serve God and enjoy Him forever. We know that we are called into a covenant relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that within this covenant that God has given abundantly to us, that we are also called to give to Him. Psalm 116 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? 
I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. You see, we know that we are called to this union to be devoted and committed to God, not to the wicked ways of this world. Though we're in the world, we're not to walk like the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst, and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This world is constantly being told by the influencers of this present darkness that we are our own gods that we can do anything we want to do, that we shouldn't be chained to any one ideology and we have to accept everyone's views, that we can rise above humanity's restrictions, that all modern religion should state that there are many ways to heaven and we're to accept every one of them no matter what, that there are no absolutes and that truth is subjective to each individual. But let me tell you what the Bible says. God's word tells us that there is only one true God, Yahweh, and he alone is to be worshipped, that we are to follow his commandments and walk in his ways, not the ways of this pagan world. There's no other gods beside him. The Bible says that there is only one way to God through his son, Jesus, who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible says that the only way to heaven is to enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Folks, God is absolute. Jesus is the truth. When the Holy Spirit quickens us out of our slumber, shines light within the dark recesses of our fallen souls, we begin to see clearly that there are two paths in this life. Despite the constant barrage of the world's endless push to worship the flesh, God is calling us to worship in spirit the truth of Jesus Christ. Despite the deconstruction of the Word of God by these pagan temples that call themselves Christian churches today, We're to feed our souls continually with his complete word, the scriptures. God's word casts light in the darkness and shows truth when others twist or water it down. Now Hebrews chapter 4 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. You see, folks, we must arm ourselves with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, to slay the evil that permeates this world and disguises itself as being a god. 
We are called to commitment, not compromise. There is no middle ground in our covenant with God. Jesus said, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would rather that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Breaking a covenant is something that the God of this world has done, will do, and will always push for you to do as well. The devil wants you to maintain your selfish ambitions and desires and for you to have the thinking that you deserve whatever you want and that you're owed blessings. Well, God doesn't owe us anything. What he does give, he gives out of the mercy and grace of his love toward us undeserving people. And his love is everything that we need, not only here in this life, but in the life to come. While we are here, we have his love sustaining us, comforting us, protecting us, and giving us his peace. All of these things are more than what the world can ever give us. What the world brings is a temporary fulfillment of the flesh that eventually leads to eternal death. What God gives is a fulfillment that lasts eternally. As I mentioned before, we have two paths to choose from, the narrow path of God's covenant or the wide path that rejects God's covenant. One leads to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The other leads to what Galatians chapter 5 says will disqualify you from the kingdom of heaven. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So embracing the covenant offered through Christ gives us a hope that surpasses understanding. Realizing his sacrificial gift should cause us such gratitude that we willingly desire to worship him. Knowing how immeasurable the gifts of God that he gives us should automatically destroy our passions and selfish desires to walk in the ways of this world and in fact cause us to turn and run with excitement toward our Heavenly Father with outstretched arms. He gives to us so we can give back to him our praises and adoration now and forevermore. God says in his word, we love because he first loved us. Amen. This has been Things I Preach to Myself About podcast. Again, I'm your host, Rich Vangen, and I thank you for taking the time to listen to me as I'm learning and growing and preaching to myself the truths that come fully out of the entire Word of God, the Bible. May our Lord Jesus Christ embrace you with his truth and sustain you until the end of time. God bless you all.